we love the grace of God, that arrow pointing down love that can only be found in God himself, that is unasked, undeserved, unearned, that is given to us freely as a gift. We love the grace of God as it is applied to our own hearts and to our own lives. We love the grace of God because it is that, that grace, that arrow pointing down love that God used to, to make us his own through the waters of baptism, his own son, his own daughter, a child of the creator of heaven and earth. We love the grace of God for those moments in life when we don't live like a child of God, but instead like a spoiled brat of the devil, throwing these angry temper tantrums and carrying out these sinful actions that are spurred on by our anger. We love the grace for those moments because it's in that grace that God comes to us and he says, my child, you are forgiven. Go and live the baptismal life I have called you to. We love the, the arrow pointing down love of God for those moments in life when we are hemmed in by evil and the world seems oh so dark. Because it's that arrow pointing down love of God that is a, a light that shines through all of the darkness. It is that beacon that guides us to the bright shores of heaven where at last we will receive our inheritance promised to us in baptism, eternal life. We love the grace of God as it is applied to our own hearts and to our own lives. But the thing that we don't really love is when it's applied to the hearts and to the lives of others especially when the heart and life it's being applied to is somebody that we don't think deserves it. And it's not just that we don't love that. It's that we sometimes feel angry about it. And that anger leads us to, to say things like, God, how can this possibly be fair? How can, it be how can it possibly be fair that I, that I have been given your arrow pointing down love, unasked, unearned, undeserved, but then, but then you show it to somebody like that? Somebody I don't think deserves it. The unfairness of God's grace is Jonah's whole gripe in Jonah chapter 4. Recall with me for a moment the, the life of Jonah, at least as we have it recorded in Scripture. Remember that Jonah was the, the prophet called by God to go to the great city of Nineveh and to preach against it because their wickedness had, Nineveh's wickedness had risen up before the Lord. But instead of listening to the call from God to go to Nineveh, Jonah has plans of his own, right? He runs away from his life and from his calling by hitching a ride on a cargo ship that's heading 2,000 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And while he's on that ship, God has a way of getting Jonah to do what he wants. He sends a, a giant wind that creates a huge storm and sends all the sailors on this Phoenician cargo ship into, into turmoil and fear. Now, Jonah had copped to the fact that he was running from God and running from the calling that God had given him and that the storm was his fault. And so at his request, Jonah tells the sailors to throw him overboard to save them from the storm. Now, this may seem like some sort of heroic action by Jonah, but really remember, by Jonah getting tossed overboard, he is doing the same thing he was doing when he jumped on that cargo ship. By being tossed off, he was running from his life and from his calling from God. And while Jonah was sinking to the depths of death in the sea, God rescued him through a giant fish. And while Jonah is in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights, he prays to God and says he is going to turn his life around, that he's going to go to the temple, that he's going to offer sacrifices to him, but completely absent from that prayer was any mention, any mention of going and carrying out the calling that God had given him to go to Nineveh. God eventually causes this fish to spit him up on dry ground and once again reiterates the call that God gives to him. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message I give you. Now, Nineveh was a great city in a number of ways. It was, 
It was a greatly important city because it was on a, a major trade route, which also meant it was a cultural and religious hub, but it was also greatly wicked. One of the uh, Jonah's contemporaries, uh, a prophet named Nahum, calls the city of Nineveh a city of blood, full of lies. And this is the place where Jonah's supposed to go and proclaim a message to them, right? A difficult task indeed. But Jonah goes. Reluctantly, he takes the three days it, it takes to go from one end of the city to the other, and he preaches a simple eight-word message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And do you know what happens? God's grace has an effect on this wicked city. The arrow pointing down love of God completely turns around the heart of this wicked king of this incredibly wicked city. It turns it around so far, in fact, that the king decrees to everyone who's living in the city that they are to put on sackcloth and they are to turn to God. They are to turn away from their wickedness, turn away from their violence, in the hopes that, because this king, he didn't quite understand who God was and what his grace meant, but this king hoped that in turning away from their sin and turning toward God, that God might relent from the fury and the anger and the violence and destruction that he had promised. And God did. God looked at their actions of repentance, the turning away from their sin and turning toward God, and he acted graciously with them. He saved that city and relented from the calamity that he was promised to send them. And Jonah saw this, and boy, was he angry. In Jonah 4, verse 1, we find out that, that Jonah is greatly displeased by this, this act of God's outpouring of his arrow-pointing-down love in this wicked city of Nineveh. He's, he's disappointed and he's angry, but that's kind of the PG version of, of what's really going on in Jonah's heart. The Hebrew, it, it literally says that it became evil to Jonah as a great evil. Yeah, that's right. Jonah looked at the gracious outpouring of God's arrow-pointing-down love on this wicked city, and he thought of it as evil. Can you imagine that? You as a prophet, you go to this terrible city, you spend three days preaching this simple little message, probably in the hopes that it doesn't work and the city gets destroyed, and lo and behold, God's grace works. And you get to watch a city of 120,000 people turn their hearts and their minds and their love toward the one true God. And you think that's evil. Listen to what Jonah says in this really angry prayer he prays. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Right there, Jonah admits to knowing who God is and how gracious he can be. And that's the very reason why he doesn't want to go to Tarshish in the first place. He or why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. He understands how gracious God is and how powerful and effective the arrow-pointing-down grace of God can be in the hearts and the lives of those whom God calls. He knew, he knew that if he preached the grace of God, that it would change and transform hearts, and that's exactly what, what it did. And so, that's why he didn't want to go in the first place, because he knew that God would work through it. And he didn't think that it was fair that people like the Ninevites, that people who lived in a city that Nahum calls a city full of blood, full of lies, these people who practiced human sacrifice and worshipped all sorts of other gods, he didn't think that they deserved God's grace in the least. He thought it was completely upside down and unfair. Jonah is so twisted up and turned around in his anger that he actually ends up being suicidal. 
He says, take my life, Lord. It would be better for me to die than to live. God, you might as well kill me now because your grace, it is completely and totally upside down and unfair. When I read through the, the words and the actions of Jonah, I'm really quick to condemn him. Because I have no doubt that like you and me, that Jonah loved the grace of God as it was applied to his own heart and to his own life. He loved it when grace was for him, but he didn't love it when it was for other people. And I am so quick to jump down Jonah's throat and say, how could you be so angry? How could you be so angry to a point of being suicidal? But then I take a step back and God's word does what it always does. It confronts my sin. And God shows me a picture of myself in Jonah, a person, a man, of somebody who is a child of God who gets way too irrationally angry like Jonah when, it, when I see the outpouring of God's love and his grace on people that I don't think deserve it. And God shows you that same thing this morning through Jonah's chapter three, Jonah chapters 3 and 4. He shows you that same exact picture. Now, I don't think that any of you are angry with God about the outpouring of his arrow pointing down love to a point where you're suicidal. But suicide or suicidal thoughts are not the only way that anger manifests itself. Anger manifests itself in manifold ways, both big and small. And sure, I could just talk about anger and say you're forgiven for anger, but I think it's far more beneficial to actually dig into why we get angry. Why is it that we, when we watch God's grace work through people who we don't think deserve it, why is it that we get so angry? Well, the answer is one that's very simple, but it's probably one that you don't want to hear. But I wouldn't be fulfilling my calling to all of you if I only told you things that you wanted to hear. And you know me well enough to know that I'm not going to just tell you what you want to hear. The reason we get so angry and act like this irrationally angry prophet Jonah is simply because of pride. We are, so, we are such prideful creatures. And we are perhaps more susceptible to the sin of pride than any other sin that exists in this world. And pride is, is the root cause of many of the sins that we have the propensity to commit. God has received sinners like you and me into his kingdom. And he has loved us and he has forgiven us and he has cared for us. And he has given us things that we can find in no one else and find nowhere else. He's given us lasting joy. He's giving us definitive purpose. He's given us new peace. He's given us the promise of eternal life. And all of this is spurred on by his grace, by his arrow pointing down love. And we love the grace of God when it is applied to our own hearts and to our own lives, but then it happens. Then you see it. More specifically, you see him or her or them, that person who has lived the Ninevite lifestyle, the person who has no concept of God, who really wants nothing to do with God, they, they live out their days fulfilling the, and gratifying the desires of their sinful flesh. But then, like to Nineveh, God sends his grace. And it comes to him through a pastor or through a friend or through any of the other hundreds of mediums that exist that can convey the arrow pointing down love of God. And like with Nineveh, God's grace was not without effect. God's grace transforms this person's life. It gives them new hope and lasting peace and joy and forgiveness and the promise of eternal life, the very same things that are given to all of you. But when it happens to somebody like that, 
We want to cry out in anger to God. It's not fair. It's not fair that your grace can be for that person the same way it is for me. And do you see pride welling up in your heart because of that? I mean, this is pride 101. When, you, when grace has an effect and is applied to your life and to your hearts, we think we deserve it. But when grace is applied to the hearts and to the lives of other people whom we don't think deserve it, we cry out and we scream, it's not fair. This is pride. Pride is thinking better of yourself, thinking you are more deserving than anything in this world, of anything in this world, compared to somebody else. And when pride wells up in your heart, anger is not long to follow. And pride and anger coupled together causes us to cry out like Jonah, it's not fair, God. Pride and anger, pride and anger coupled together are far too dangerous of a weapon for any single person in this world to yield. But God has a way with, or a way of breaking into a rational, the anger of irrationally angry people like us and like Jonah. And he does so like a gentle father or a loving mother. He does so by asking a very penetrating question. Do you have any right to be angry? Do you have any right to be angry at the way I dispense my grace? Do you have any right to be angry with the way and the people that I choose to work in and to work through in this world? God asked that question for two reasons of Jonah. Not only, number one, not only to confront his anger, but also also because he is so concerned with Jonah and with all of us understanding the nature and the effect and the scope of God's arrow pointing down love. Because if you misunderstand, misappropriate, misapply God's grace, then do you know what happens? Everything, absolutely everything falls apart. If you misunderstand grace, you misunderstand the relationship that you have with God and how he feels about you. If you misunderstand the arrow pointing down love of God, you misunderstand the very nature of the kingdom of God, the very kingdom that Jesus described in the parable this morning that says the last will be first and the first will be last. If you misunderstand the arrow pointing down love of God, then you misunderstand the kind of love that you are to show to others and the reason why you show it. If you misunderstand grace, thinking it is something that you earn, thinking it is something that you deserve, then you misunderstand the very nature of the way that God works and the very nature and the reason a church like ours exists. If you misunderstand grace, then you will spend the remainder of your days like a rationally angry Jonah, sitting on a hill, throwing a pity party for one, and saying angrily to God, it's not fair. Standing face to face with the arrow pointing down love of God with this grace in whatever way it is manifesting itself in your life, in whatever way it is manifesting itself in the lives of those around you, God asks you that same penetrating question. Do you have any right to be angry? You know, when Jonah was asked that question the first time, he uh, He wasn't quite ready to answer the question, was he? No, what does he do? God asks that question, and the next thing we know, Jonah is sitting out on a hill outside of the city of Nineveh, waiting and waiting for God to hopefully bring the destruction that he promised to bring if Nineveh didn't repent after 40 days. And even after Nineveh had repented and turned back to God, Jonah was still hoping that grace wasn't for them and that grace wasn't actually unfair. But then... In the middle of the heat of the day, God sends a plant. 
And it's this plant that gives Jonah shade and it cools him off. And for the first time in the entirety of Jonah's life, or in the entirety of Jonah's book that we have recorded in Scripture, we find Jonah happy. He's happy. He's no longer angry. He's no longer even thinking about the unfair nature of God's grace. He's just happy. But then what happens? As quickly as God raised that plant up, God took it away. He sent a worm and a scorching east wind, and the the plant went away. And now, once again, you find Jonah wallowing in his anger and again suicidal, but this time not suicidal in prayer to God. This time he's just suicidal and mumbling to himself, "It it would be better for me to die than to live. So God asks him a variation of that very penetrating question. He says, do you have any right to be angry about that plant? And Jonah says, absolutely I do. I'm so angry that I could die. God finally got him to admit it. God finally got Jonah to admit not only the the depth of his anger, but also his complete and utter lack of love. Listen to how God responds to Jonah's anger and desire for death because of that plant. He says, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. And should I have concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? Jonah, you loved this plant. You loved this plant, though you had nothing to do with this plant. You didn't make it grow. I did. You didn't tend it. I did. And then I took it away. Jonah, you loved this inanimate object that had no soul, and yet you show a complete lack of love, a complete lack of love for the 120,000 plus people who are living in the city of Nineveh. You might not love them, Jonah, but I do. Of course I am concerned for this city because this is who I am. I created them, and I love them, and though they don't know their right hand from their left, in other words, they're spiritually all over the map, I love them. And so I gave you the privilege of carrying my message of arrow pointing down love to this city. And my grace was not without effect in their lives. It turned their whole lives around, even the hearts of this wicked king. And now they love me and they follow me. I love them, Jonah, because by nature I am gracious. I love them because this is who I am. And I don't want you to forget that my grace is not only for them, but it's also for you. Remember how my grace worked in your life when I called you to be a prophet to the great city of Nineveh. Remember the grace that I I worked through you as I saved you from the depths of death in the sea and had you spit up on dry ground. Remember the grace I gave you as I gave you the message to proclaim to this city. Jonah, my love, my arrow pointing down love is for you, but it's also for Nineveh. And according to your limited understanding of the way I work, Sure, that doesn't seem fair. It might not seem fair to you, but it is to me. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Look, in our anger, we can shout all we want with Jonah and say, God's grace isn't fair. And you know what? You'd be right. God's grace isn't fair in the least, but that's the point. Because if God's grace were fair, none of us would receive it. If God's grace were fair, then none of us, not Nineveh, not Jonah, not Huntersville, none of us would receive a warning like the Ninevites did that said 40 more days and your life is going to be overturned. If grace were fair, then the only people in heaven would be perfect saints and then heaven would be a party of one. God. God's grace 
is not fair. And that's the point. And we can thank God for that. God's grace is not fair. And do you know what God in his arrow pointing down love did? He answered that cliffhanger of a question, the way in which he ended Jonah chapter 4. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Should I not be concerned about Nineveh? About Huntersville? About Doug? About Catherine? About Christine? And the way in which God answered that question was in the unfairest of ways. God answered that question on a hill outside of the city of Jerusalem called the Place of the Skull. God answered that question in his own flesh and blood. God answered that question in his grace by nailing all of your sins of supposedly righteous indignation and anger toward the unfairness of grace, and he killed the author of life for it. He killed the author of life in his grace to give you life that does not end. In his arrow pointing down love, God raised him back from the dead to assure you that your sins are forgiven and that heaven stands open. Is that fair? Is that fair for one righteous person, the most perfect person who ever lived, to be punished for your sin? Absolutely not. But in light of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, God pours out his arrow-pointing down love and all of the benefits that come with it. Faith, salvation, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and he gives it to you as a gift. By human standards, God's grace is completely and totally backwards and upside down and unfair. But I pray, I pray that the following truth removes all of your anger that you may have toward the unfairness of grace and refreshes your joy and peace and hope that you have in God alone. That God's grace isn't fair. But that's the point. God grant it. Amen.